0: Well, the numbers keep going up. They really do. The numbers keep rising. And you are actually the reason for that. It's it's because of you. And sincerely, thank you. I, I mean it. Thank you so much. You're
1: welcome.
0: Not you. The downloader people.
1: The downloader people. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what you call our listeners? The <laughs> <Yeah>. downloader
2: people. <laughs> the Doc and Karen's Podcast. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I'm trying to be friendly. <laughs> Show number 14. We're going to do ground. Well, you did do grounding last week and you were going to do rebounding this week, but now we're back to
2: grounding? We're back to grounding for several reasons because I've had a lot of questions about it and
1: because we've both started grounding and we have a grounding mat and we've been putting that to use. While doing more research on grounding, I found a fantastic video on YouTube by Dr. Laura Conover. She is the author of
2: uh, The Earth Prescription and from the ground up the video is called the healing power of the earth every single cell in your body is conductive so that it can touch that earth energy and transmit it instantly like a light bulb turning on through your whole body If I touch the earth and get that electrical pulse through just my fingertip, immediately my entire body's grounded from head to toe as if I flipped on a light switch. There is not one part of me that's not healing. If I touch, that's why you can be like, um, say you're at the beach and and you're on a beach blanket that's plastic so you're definitely not grounded, but you just have one toe in the sand. Or you're gardening and you got your plastic rubber boots on and you're all, but you just have your hands in the dirt. It's helping your brain, it's helping your digestion, it's helping your pain, it's helping your sleep later that night. There is no obstacle to grounding your entire body is conductive and you can't convince me that that's not some kind of divine design that we live on an electrical earth who is spinning in space whose entire business is to create the atmosphere the ground the water and the food that keeps us alive and then our entire body is designed to be conductive every cell in your body is conductive every fluid in your body is conductive from your brain to your heart to every single organ system and when there's no connection then you're not receiving any benefits and the minute there's one tiniest cell in your body connected to the earth a mattress panel, for example, your entire body is instantly in a healing state. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So let's go into what it does to the human body to be grounded. And this is where this craving comes from. When you're not grounded, none of your cells and none of your organ systems and your entire body, none of it's benefiting from being grounded because the minute you disconnect, it's like turning off the light. There is no replication for grounding. You can do the juicing, you can eat great things, you can take all these amazing supplements and you can actually Exercise, but you're still ungrounded. Let's just be clear. No matter what healing, healthy thing you are doing to support your health, and there are, Tons of things you can do that have been medically proven to support health, but you're still not grounded. So here's how your body's designed. The plasm inside every single cell you have in your body right now is all an electrical gel. The skeleton, it's called a cytoskeleton. It's what makes your cells 3D instead of just a fizzled little deflated balloon. It keeps it plump. It's a little skeleton. It's like a little uh, fiber optics going through your cells, lighting it up conductively. The membrane around every cell is conductive. So every cell that every cell touches, and then the one next to that and the one next to that, that is instantly conductively turned on when one cell is grounded. The lymphatic fluid, the plasma, the blood, all of the fluids in and outside of your cell are also electrically conductive. This skeleton that gives your body form and shape, the bones you have that allow you to just have a body at all, the basis of the body is conductive. Every bone in your body, the muscles that drape on your bone that allow you to move, all conductive. So when one little muscle's conductive, uh, touches the earth grounded or touches the mattress grounded, your enti- entire musculoskeletal system is instantly grounded. And you know that because you know what happens if you sever a nerve. Your muscle atrophies and you can't use it, right? It relies on electricity. It relies on conductivity. Your heartbeat, everybody knows that in EKG, right? You measure the electrical activity of your heart. But think about what that means. It means it's conductive and without conductivity, if you sever the innervation to the heart, you're not alive anymore. So you need a conductive beating heart that then spreads conductivity and circulation throughout your entire body, to every muscle, to your skeleton, to every cell, all your digestive organs. If you sever the innervation to your digestive organs, you cannot eat food, digest food, and you will not stay alive. You need electrical conductivity to digest food, to even swallow food, to digest food and to move it along the digestive tract and to absorb it. Your brain, obviously, I think we all know is conductive. It's electrical impulses. We can look at it on an on a EEG, right? I can measure it while you're sleeping. I can see brainwave patterns. There is not one part of your body that's not conductive. And there is not one surface of the earth that's not conductive. And we live together. And the entire business as these astronauts told me of the earth is to provide a place for us to live so does it not make sense to have something that's just waiting to be electrically activated actually dock itself to the earth to improve its function that's grounding hey y'all
1: it's texas city with another fun fact about Texas. Texas has the fastest official speed limit in the USA. A section of Texas State Highway 130 has a posted speed limit of 85 miles per hour. Don't tell nobody, but I go that fast everywhere. I'm Texas Tootie, proud mom of a Texas law enforcement officer. Back to blue.
0: And now part two of the Everyday People segment with Mr. Tim.
1: I'm like, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And he's, he's like, take him out. And I remember him telling him in the back, everybody's gonna strap in, we're gonna ram you.
0: Tell me as much as you can in the moment how you thought, how you felt, how you responded.
1: Well, honestly, the first the first 10 seconds was like, hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. I'm, I'm gonna play adult bumper cars here. <laughs> A 30,000 pound piece of equipment that the city paid for, and I'm crashing it into something that's equally big. <laughs> oh,
0: so you did have that moment. Good to know.
1: Yeah. Then I realized we don't train on a crashing cars. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, all right, how do I go about this? How do I go about this? What is the weakest spot of a, a small portion of time? I realized, gosh, darn, I got to really try to reduce impact as much as possible. I got all my brothers in back here that they're going to be, they're going to be affected by this impact.
0: Well, that was one of my questions too. I mean, what do you suppose they were thinking? Because
1: I'm sure there was a, I'm sure there was a few of them in the back were like, can you let me off here? And when you get done crashing, let me know. I'll come up and help you. I was really, really really concerned with everybody in back because I've ridden in back hundreds of times. I know what's back there and there ain't much to hold on to. And uh, so I thought, all right, I, I got to figure out a way. How do I take this out? What's a weak spot? And I thought, you know what? A front tire. I'll come up on the side of him and I'll hit it at an angle to where I can try to take out an axle. I can try to uh, take out a tire, something. And um, that was my plan. I was going to come up to him and at an angle with my front left, I was going to hit him on, on the right, on the right front, and uh, it just never, take it out never, that, that
0: front. It, at the end of the day, it never came to that, correct?
1: <laughs> it it didn't because by the time we caught up to him, he wasn't too far from the bridge. And at that point, the vehicle, the, the shots took effect. He lost oil, he lost uh, the the cooling, the, the coolant itself, and the vehicle went into what was called limp mode. As we approached, he was only going maybe five mile an hour. So I took the vehicle up my my uh, um, the, the bear, and I was on the right side of him, and I started heading him off with my left. Side and basically he came to a stop. I blocked it with with the bear. The rest of the team exited out the rear because they said he's holding a knife to his throat. He's getting out of the vehicle. They went around the very rear of his vehicle and approached, well, I just happened to be at the right place, right time. I opened my driver's door. I got my taser out because I figured he'd be facing them. I got my taser out and I I peeked around to let them know, hey, I'm coming up behind him. And I got within about 10 feet of him, put my taser on him and dropped him. And he fell back and the rest of the team came over and took him into custody. Nonviolent. Minimal. Injury, yeah, just from the taser barbs. How do how does your
0: wife deal with all this? Carolyn and I talk about it frequently and our other uh, police friends, wives, discuss at times, you know, it's not an obsessive thing, but how does she handle all of this? I'm sure she was watching this unfold on the television. Did did you do you tell her if you were on duty and you and you called up to do something?
1: No, I, I, I don't. I, I've kept it from her for many, many, many years. I mean, she's done right alongs with me when I was in the canine unit. And so she sees some of the stuff, but she saw the canine aspect. She didn't see the nuts and bolts as if I'm getting into it. you
0: might have no. known what was going on, but she didn't know your participation in it.
1: Nope, nothing at all. And in fact, there was just a lot of horrific stuff I've done over the years and been involved in. It wasn't until one of her close friends that lives right up the street from a homicide scene where I was you know, intimately involved in putting hands on the, the person that did it and, and, and actually a use of force and, and uh, kind of got in, a little injured myself, but not, not much, but there was just a, a bloody terrible scene. Yeah. And it wasn't until like a day later that her friend that lived down the street who knew I was there and saw everything that took place and all that made her aware of it. And she one day said, my God, you, you've been hiding stuff from me all these years of how horrific some of this stuff is you get into. And I said, yeah, and I wish I could have hid this from you for what she told you. I said, but you don't need to hear this. You don't need to see this stuff. That pretty much kind of opened it up my last few years <laughs> that, yeah. that I was there, that she's a very well aware. And it's not that she's naive or anything, but she's, you know, she's the kind of person I love her for this, that she lives in the, the, the land of unicorns and, and bubbles. But that's and, and okay.
0: I mean, <laughs> right. and tell me about k Is Is that dog your pet? Your that's p- my partner. That's your partner.
1: Oh, that's my partner. I'd, I'd trade a human being partner in for a dog any day. <laughs> yeah. Any day. I got to Because tell you- unlike, I was going to say, unlike a human being where you tell them, all right, you you watch my right side and I'll watch my left. You, you trust the human being watches your right side, but just like humans, they're fallible. And maybe they're like, oh, wait, did I hear something on your left? And they look to your left when something, the boogeyman pops out on the right and they should have had to write the whole time. You tell a dog to do this, the dog does it. The dog will do it every time because that's all they know, and they know to listen to you.
0: Well, I got to tell you, part of the reason I, I really wanted to get you on the uh, get you on the podcast is uh, Kendall, our daughter, uh, uh-huh. who was doing a project at school and and asked me if I could get uh, a police canine to uh, visit with her, and uh, I put a post on Facebook. Actually, I recorded her putting a post where she said, "Hey, if anybody, you know, my dad's a police officer. If any canine guys would be willing to, and you brought your famous partner." Your beloved, famous partner, Jaeger, to yeah. uh, to the range, and we took Kendall out there, and what an yep. experience! Have beautiful pictures of that. Tell me about when you began that work.
1: Um, it was kind of kind of bittersweet. Um, I, I I don't know if you remember. I, I was shot back um, in two thousand uh, in two thousand and November eighth of two thousand. What was the incident? it was It was a, a robbery suspect at a at a food food chain, and I was running. I was a being a traffic officer for District Two at the time, and, mm-hmm. and I was just. Down the street on running radar and um, a robbery had come out. It started out as a shoplifting and then the person started fighting with the staff. And then, you know, eventually I got there within just a minute of it happening and other officers got there in the area. Um, I located him, tried to come up with a plan to have officers approaching from where he was laying and trying to hide in his backyard while he saw those officers do. jumped up. I yep.
0: that, that in yep. Uh, that was actually in Pleasant Ridge. I remember that. Really.
1: It was. Yep. yep. Yeah, it was. And he jumped up and come running to me and then we got into a fist of cuffs and next thing you know, uh, one officer uh, didn't have his fire, when he came to my aid, didn't have his firearm secured in his holster. That person was able to, to acquire that, that firearm and fire multiple rounds striking me in my left hand and, and head. And so I I had, uh, you know, a time to recover from that. Um, and from there, I, I was like, you know, I, I still like this. I, I wanted to get back. In fact, don't called me crazy. It was one of those times where we were, uh, as a SWAT team, we were trying to, we were preparing for the World Trade Organization, WTO, uh, was having their their uh, conference in Cincinnati. And supposedly all these you know anarchists and, and yeah. people were coming in. So as a city, as a whole, especially the SWAT team. We were training for months before this for, for riot control and things like that. And, and I remember I just I don't know, call me stupid, call me dedicated. I don't know. I remember I was just, I don't know, a week, week and a half, two weeks after my shooting. And I wanted to get back to my team. I wanted to get back to normalcy. I almost died, but sitting at home and just twiddling my thumbs and, and reflecting back on things. I, I, I didn't need that. I needed to get back to normalcy. I want to get back to the job and just just get back to it. So I also didn't want to miss the potential, you know, involvement with SWAT for possible riots or whatever. Remember, I'm very young into this, so I'm still I'm ready to go. <laughs> and um, I remember going down to employee health and he looked at my hand. And he goes, yeah, your hand's healing pretty good. You know, just keep it, keep, keep the stitches dry and blah, blah, blah. You should be OK. And then we'll let you go for light duty. And I'm like, OK, well, then he looks at my head and he sees three staples up there, four staples and or no, seven, seven staples. And he says, Oh, I can't let you light, light dude. You still got metal staples in your head. And I'm like, but look, they're good. I mean, see how um, good it's healed and you all. You don't
0: want to hear any part of that.
1: Nope. I don't want to hear any part of that. So he says, Nope, you got to get staples out. I can't do we don't take staples out here. You gotta go to your doctor. Well, this was, I don't know, a Friday or something. And I was like, there's no way. And Monday is when we were gonna have the event.
0: Sir, if you tell You're me not- you took the staples out of your head your yourself and went to work, we're gonna have a little chat after the podcast is over.
1: Well, let's start the chat because I went down <laughs> to my truck and grabbed my needle nose pliers. Now my EHL EHS parking lot. I pulled out seven staples. Needle nose pliers work just fine.
0: Well, uh, you know, okay. I, I still have to remember that you're an EMT, and, and you, you can you can handle that. Okay, okay.
1: Well, I don't think that's the proper medical way of taking staples out of your head with the needle. But it worked, plier, right?
0: Well, <laughs> it worked. It worked. So let's bring back into focus. I actually spoke to a brother officer that was on your shooting, and this is uh, the event. Somebody stole an officer's gun. Gun, took it in the in the process of trying to get him into custody. He shoots you in the hand, you take a round in the head. Yeah. In fact, I believe he's the one that eliminated the threat that day and saved your life and the life of who knows how many others. And he told me that after that shot went off, or maybe there was some grapple for the gun, that actually after that shot took effect that the perpetrator said, ooh, that was a good one, and then began to succumb to his
1: injury. You want, you want me to tell you exact words?
0: Yes, I want to hear those words words, but that is exactly what happened then.
1: Yeah. Oh, that is what happened. I'll tell you his exact words because I was I was a foot away from his face when he said it, and those words kind of haunt me. When I was wrestling the gun, because he was laying on the gun and he was trying to get it out to where he could shoot me and again and shoot others, I was holding that gun and I flipped it away from him under under his body and he was still grappling to try to get the gun, and I just started yelling, shooting, him, shooting, him, shooting, him, shooting, and he turned to me and he goes, yeah, shoot me, shoot me, and then the officer shot him one time and he goes, oh, there you go. You got me good. It feels warm. Thank you." You. those were his words no and that was it and that was it that was it oh you got me good it feels warm thank you hmm yeah so
0: that that's something to go through and you still remember that to this day obviously like probably yep. like it was yesterday
1: yep I do.
0: So I'm gonna yeah. fa- so I'm gonna fast forward and and talk about your your canine. So you said that's your partner. Your your partner is also your
1: pet at home. And- They're never a pet. You know, a pet you have around for entertainment, for joy, and all that. It's a partner. Um, I guess in a way they become a pet, but I don't even define them as that because those dogs once they get trained and once they do their job for a little while, yeah, they may look like a simple dog on the outside at home because they'll fetch and they'll play ball and they'll do things like that. But you got to remember, these dogs are trained to bite people. They're trained. To bite people, domesticated dogs when they're born just don't come out of the womb and say, "You know what? When I grow up, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat people. I'm going to bite people. I'm gonna hurt people." So that's not. They don't
0: th- want to do that. I never grew up with dogs, Tim. So, I mean, as a professional handler, that dogs don't don't have a predisposition to bite is not necessarily
1: correct because they're domesticated animals. You know, out in the wild, coyotes or wolves that don't have any kind of human interaction, and at eight weeks, ten weeks of age, a human just all of a sudden appears in front of them. Well, that's scary. That's they've not been associated with. So they are more likely to bite as a defense. Um, Whereas domesticated dogs, they're not. And just because first off, the parents, the mother, is already acclimated to humans and interaction with humans and being fed and cared for and loved and taken care of, at least most should be. And then when the babies, the puppies are born, they see how the mother reacts to the the mother and father, react to the the human beings, and they become even more, you know, natural around the two-legged people in front of them. So they're not, you know, they're not so much ready to bite people. When we get our dogs at a year old, they're, a lot of them are like that. They've been handled by from from either the caretaker that up to the age when they started to be you know, put into the system of, of a broker to a police department um, and then they're trained. Then we train them to bite, but they're not biting the humans, so to speak. This is my opinion strictly. Just from my observations of all my years, they are not biting humans because they don't like humans. They are biting because they were told to and it's a game to them. And they are like, hey, I was told to find you by using my nose and my eyes and the training I have. I found you. Now my job is to grab a hold of you, which is a bite, and take you to my dad.
0: So there's no malice. It's, it's not like the, the dog has, Correct. is angry and, and, go, and doing. he's just doing his job.
1: That's it. It's no malice at all. It's, it's They grab a hold. If you, if you look at dog bites, and the c- current career I'm in now, I've seen quite a few dog bites um, as, as the dog warden here. And I look back on our police canines, at least strictly for Cincinnati, how well-trained they are, they bite and hold they don't they don't you know teletype up and down where you have all these bite marks and all these gnashings and all these ripped away pieces of of skin and, and tissue and all They're four puncture wounds and some and some bruising that's and a properly trained
0: canine is that is that standardized training or is are there various techniques that the dogs can learn and that's just just happened to be this agency's
1: I don't think it's just this agencies, I think in police and police canine nationwide, it's, it's probably standardized training because you don't want to create any more injury than what what is being created with a dog bite to begin with. That's not the goal. The goal is to use the, the, the police canine as a, as a locating tool, to use their nose, to use their senses to get you to the point. However, if it gets to the point where the dog has to defend itself or defend the handler, then you still want minimal amount of injury, if possible, and that would be the dog biting and, and creating maybe four puncture wounds and some bruising. That's it. An uncontrolled dog or a dog that's biting out of fear or just biting because it's vicious, and that's all it knows, will bite, bite, bite different parts of the body and pull pull chunks of you know tissue away, sure. rip your clothes off, things like that. So that's the whole goal of proper training for the police canine. Is, to- it,
0: is it is it a big process to be paired with your dog? I've I've somehow heard of instances where the match doesn't work. I don't know, you know, is it on the handler, is it on the dog? But is that a big deal to make sure you find the right dog for it?
1: It is. Handler. And it should be. Yeah, it is. And it should be, you know, we, we, if you have a dog, that, if you have a handler, let's say he's a triathlete, but he's, he's into just, you know, try to run you know, running and, and swimming and, and just a number of things. He's just very fit and active and that's his lifestyle. And he wants a, he wants a dog that you, know, you he should want a dog. That's also active too, because they, they can do things together. They can run together and exercise together and do, do a number of things. And it keeps them both in peak health. Uh, same time, if that dog has a lots of energy, just like the handler would have lots of energy, they make a great pair. If you put someone that's a handler that's more of a couch potato on his off time, and you have a dog that's bouncing off the walls, that sometimes just that's doesn't not a good match. I do you. as well, and and vice versa. You got a dog that's full of energy, and uh, or I'm sorry, you got you got a person that's full of energy, and you got a dog that's like, look, I'm more laid back. I can use my nose, and I'm good at what I do. I just take a slower process of doing it. Yeah, yeah. That, the handler's probably going to be dragging the dog around. So that is a thing. Okay, <laughs> it is trying to match the dog with the personality and and the lifestyle of the handler vice versa. Well, let me ask you. So, so uh,
0: at, at the beginning of the conversation, you you mentioned that the working that your partner he's he's a, he's a working partner. How do you then assimilate your family members into that relationship? You and Jaeger, for example, have a relationship based on you know what you guys do away from how from from home how does mom and the kids kind of you know orbit around that relationship
1: that's a good question so it's in my opinion it's it's kind of a, an ex- experience it's it's kind of like a two-part one is at home there's a there's a role leader there's a pat leader so to speak and when you have mom and dad they're the authoritarians to the kids and a lot of times dad is the higher of the hierarchy if you will yeah. of the, the authoritarians for the, for the most part not always but most of the time and when it comes to a dog that's all. So the same way, when the dog is away from, uh, the family structure itself, it's the handler and the dog and the handler is number one, the dog is number two and everybody else around him is three, four, five, and six. Mm. And, and that's okay because you know, the handler, is the one that sets the tone. The handler is the one that directs the dog, and the dog, listens. when it's at home, it's the same way. Except in this case, the handler's number one, the number two would be mom, and three, four, and five are the kids. But the dog is the last. At home. So, correct.
0: How does he know
1: yeah. that? It's just it's just getting him acclimated. It's, getting, it's the handler paying attention to the dog's actions. For instance, let's say you have two kids, and one of the kids can put down a bowl of water next to the food bowl while the dog is eating, and that child doesn't get growled at. Well, the other child, as he puts the bowl of Water down next to the food, and the dog growls at him. That dog is thinking, "You're below me. Don't get near me, or I'll bite you." While I'm eating, that it's just little simple little things like that. Well, how do you fix that? Well, you let them know. As a handler, you're you're the pack leader. You know you, you're above all of them. Mm-hmm. And when that dog even thinks on his own to to even try to growl at that. Other person, you're you, on you it. Gotta, you got to be there to correct it. What happens and when then, you
0: li- What happens when you leave? Do you always crate the dog when you leave the house, or do you can he be free to roam with your family?
1: That, that is a case by case basis, and that has to be decided by the, the handler and and you know the actions of the dog and how you can how you can trust them. For instance, I never had a problem with either of my dogs being destructive, but also I was a very active handler. You know, a lot of times destructiveness comes from boredom, it comes from lack of exercise, it comes from the lack of stimulation on other things that we're they're allowed to do compared to what they're not allowed to do. Um, so if there's an issue, there's nothing wrong with crating them. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, it's where you start creating them for long term. That starts becoming an issue because you should be able to allow your dog to have enough freedom that you can trust them. But when it comes to the kids, you know, if you leave the dog home with the kids and the wife, uh, that that's where you, again, you have to be able to know when you've met the proper amount of training to where the dog gets it. Gotcha. So if that's the case where you don't, you just crate it, you know, keep, keep them separated. And that's all. Also, where you know, the family unit comes in, too, where they have to know the boundaries and limitations. Look, don't, you know, don't put the bowl of water down next to the the food when when dad's away.
0: So you have to train the family a little bit, too. Correct. Tim will be back. The Doc and Carolyn podcast is for entertainment purposes only and the exclusive property of DNC Media, LLC, Liquid Mana, IV Hydration. Available in the Woodlands, Conroe, New Waverly, Huntsville and coming soon to Lufkin. Vitamin Packs, Immunity Packs. Liquid Matter.